As the saying goes, the first casualty of war is truth. Very few of us have been involved in actual wars, but we've all been in conflict, in places and relationships where anxiety is high. And at those times, truth often finds itself thrown out the window. It happens when we're anxious of being caught out. You see someone doing something that's a little bit off and you ask, hey, what are you doing? What's the answer? Nothing. It doesn't matter whether you're innocent or guilty. When it feels like we're about to be caught out, too often our first response is to lie. I remember a few years ago, I was at someone's house. I was interested in a device they had on a shelf. I picked it up to have a look at it and the cable fell out. Uh, The person came back in and saw me fiddling with the cable and asked what had happened. I said, oh, it just fell out. I didn't tell them the truth. I didn't say, well, I picked it up and the cable fell out. I don't know why I lied. It was just one of those anxious situations. I felt foolish. I got caught out. And so I lied. How dumb is that, isn't it? It's wrong. It was an obvious lie. I lost respect in that person's eyes. If I told them the truth, I don't think they would have worried. But when we're anxious, when there's conflict... We jettison the truth and we go for the lie. Uh, The events that we're looking at in the Bible today is full of anxiety. And in this anxious situation, truth is the first casualty, uh, except for Jesus. Last week, uh, Malcolm preached. Uh, He did a great job. I had to listen to it during the week. It's fantastic. If you weren't here last Sunday, uh, check it out on our church website. He did a great job taking us to the upper room, to the moments after the Last Supper, where Jesus tells his disciples how they're going to respond before, and then they go out to the, the Garden of Gethsemane. So when they're up in the upper room, Jesus quotes the prophet Zechariah to explain what's about to happen. Uh, Jesus quotes Zechariah 13 and he says, You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, and this is the quote from Zechariah 13, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Who's the shepherd? Well, in Zechariah's time, he's using this well-known metaphor, going back at least to King David, the shepherd boy. The shepherd is the king of God's people. Jesus says, when I am struck, when the pressure comes, the sheep will scatter. When the going gets tough, the tough will get going. And that's exactly what happened. The soldiers came and Jesus is arrested. Verse 50 says, then everyone deserted, deserted him and fled. In fact, they were so desperate to abandon their shepherd. Verses 51 and 52 tells us that one of the disciples is so desperate he's willing to even leave his clothes behind as long as he gets away. So that's the situation. Jesus has been arrested, the shepherd has been struck, and the sheep have scattered. And so now Jesus is taken to trial. Uh, The trial is held by the Jewish religious leaders. They were called the Sanhedrin, a group of priests, elders and teachers of the law. Now we know this whole thing has been planned and conspired by the teachers. At the start of the chapter, Mark 14 verses 1 and 2, we're told they're scheming to arrest Jesus. But they don't want it doing, sorry, they don't want to do it during the festival, verse 2, they don't want to do it during the, the festival of unleavened bread because the people may riot. Now, when is it when Jesus is led into the courtroom? 
where we started reading today. Well, Jesus and his disciples have just eaten the Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, which goes for a week, is about to start. I think things haven't quite gone according to plan for the religious leaders. I think either they were hoping to arrest Jesus after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and now they've been caught unprepared, or they really wanted Jesus, and the whole Jesus situation knocked on its head before the festival began. Either way, they're in this, they're, they're panicking, they're in a rush to hold the trial, and that's why they hold the trial at night, which was not quite proper procedure. And so as we're in that room, in that dark room, it is an anxious room. Verse 53, Mark 14, verse 53. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. It is an anxious courtroom. I'm guessing most of the priests and teachers are on edge. And Jesus is all alone. He's all alone because Peter, the one who promised in verse 29, even if all fall away, I will not, well, Peter is strikingly absent. He's not in court supporting Jesus. Instead, he's outside placing himself with the soldiers who arrested Jesus. Verse 54, Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. This is an anxious situation for everyone. The Jewish leaders are anxious to get Jesus out of the picture, worried that if news gets out, there's going to be a riot. Peter is anxious, trying to be undetected. And what about Jesus? All alone, surrounded by enemies. And he knows what's about to happen. We're going to leave Peter outside for a moment as we go into the anxious courtroom. And it's a scene of chaos. The Sanhedrin are desperate, desperate to find someone to say something they can to pin pin Jesus. Uh, Verse 55, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony about him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. It's a pretty scrappy operation, isn't it? Even after Jesus has been speaking in the temple all week, they've got no evidence. And when they find people willing to lie, they can't even get their story straight. What they claim Jesus said is almost right, but not quite. It sounds suspiciously like something Jesus is recorded saying in John's Gospel, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. But notice, Jesus never said, I will destroy this temple. He said, they would, which is exactly what they're doing right at that moment as they desperately try to destroy Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus is the temple that they're trying to destroy and they're about to do it as they hang him on a cross. 
But he never said, I will destroy this temple. The lying witnesses haven't got their story straight. And even when the high priest tries to goad Jesus into responding and incriminating himself, Jesus calmly says nothing, which is probably a lesson to many of us when we're anxious. So plan A has failed. Plan A of the Sanhedrin was to find witnesses, anyone who would incriminate Jesus. That has failed. It's time for plan B. Plan B, the judge becomes the prosecutor. Instead of listening, instead of hearing the witnesses, the high priest starts to question the accused. So verse 61 continues. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? That's the right question to ask, isn't it? It's, it's the question. It is the core question, the core issue. Who does Jesus say he is? Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Verse 62, I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest has stopped being an impartial judge and now he's berating the accused. And Jesus responds calmly, speaking truth of his identity. Every word he says is packed with meaning. Even those first two words, even I am, might be an allusion to the name of God. God told Moses from the not burning bush, my name is I am who I am. Jesus may even be hinting at that. But the rest of his answer is unambiguous. He is the son of man coming on the clouds. Uh, This is the picture from Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, one like a son of man, so a human being, comes on the clouds to the throne of the Ancient of Days. A human comes into the presence of God and God gives this son of man divine power and divine authority. And in front of Israel's leaders, Jesus says, I'm that guy. Sitting at the right hand of the mighty one, the right hand of God, that's picking up the language of Psalm 110. In Psalm 110, David says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Those words might be familiar. It's the line Jesus quoted in the temple to raise the question of his identity. We heard it only a few weeks ago. Here in the courtroom, Jesus speaks very clearly. He is David's Lord, who will sit at the right hand of God. Who is it that sits at a king's right hand? Someone who shares in the power and authority of the king. Jesus is being straight up about his identity. He is the Messiah. And he's no mere human. He is the Son of Man, equal with God. And this is bad news for the priests and religious leaders because they know what Psalm 110 says. Even verse 1 talks about enemies being made footstools. And later in the psalm, it explicitly talks about an end of the Levitical priesthood. Jesus says, you, Israel's leaders, you have become God's enemies. Your priesthood is coming to an end as the temple is destroyed and a new one is made three days later. And just as an aside, 
Did you notice there, Mark 14, 62, you will see. You will see the Son of Man on the clouds. Once again, this is why I think Mark 13 is not about the second coming. It's not about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. It's about the cross, the resurrection and ascension. It's about things people in that room would see with their very eyes. And I know a few of us are still thinking about Mark 13, so that's a little aside for you. But back to Mark 14. The high priest understands exactly what Jesus is saying. What he's saying about his own identity, what he's saying about the leaders of Israel, and he is furious. Verse 63, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Why do they treat him like this? It's to shame him. But I wonder if it's also releasing tension. The anxiety has been building and they release their tension with violence. But even as lies are told, even as Jesus is shamed and abused, he remains calm. He doesn't cry out. He doesn't give in and deny himself. In a world of anxiety and lies, Jesus remains true. The same cannot be said for Peter outside with the enemies. Verse 66, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, again he denied it. Jesus has been in the courtroom, surrounded by people who think they have the power of life and death. Yet he remains calm and true. He knows who he is and and the only words he says are to confess his true identity. Peter, on the other hand, he faces up to this servant girl, someone with no power, who is no threat to Peter, but still he caves. He lies, denying he knows Jesus, denying his own identity. Verse 70 continues. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. This third time, the stakes are higher. It's not just a servant girl, but those standing around, it's soldiers. Those whose comrades are right now beating Jesus, they recognize Peter for who he is, and he vehemently denies it calling down curses and swearing. It doesn't mean four-letter words, but he was saying things like, with God as my witness, I don't know Jesus. It's what you say when to insist that you're telling the truth, except Peter isn't. He's denying Jesus. Back in chapter 8, Peter confessed the truth. You are the Messiah. But now in his anxiety... 
he lies. There's a sense in which he denies himself. Because who is Peter? That's not even his name. At least it's not the name his father and mother gave him. It's the name Jesus gave him. Peter's identity is found in Jesus, in being a follower of the Messiah. But when the pressure's up, when anxiety is high, he loses himself by denying Jesus. As Jesus said, he would. Uh, Verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Only a few hours earlier, when they were in the upper room, Jesus said this would happen. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Peter hears the rooster and he remembers Three times he's forgotten. He's forgotten who he is. He's forgotten who Jesus is. In anxiety, he's lied and denied. But now he remembers and weeps. He sees what he's done and it's too late. Or is it? The crowing of the rooster doesn't only remind us of what Jesus said to Peter... It also reminds us what Jesus said a few days earlier, recorded in Mark 13. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. Uh, What Jesus is doing here, he's explaining a parable he's just told. The owner of the house uh, comes from that parable. He's talking about himself. Jesus in that parable was preparing his disciples for when he would be revealed, when his kingdom would be revealed, when his identity as the Son of Man would be revealed. And to a certain degree, in the courtroom, Jesus has been revealed. As he's told the truth about himself, he is the Son of Man. He will be seated at the right hand of God. But even then, before the rooster crowed, he hasn't fully been revealed They haven't seen it yet with their own eyes. So as he is mocked and beaten, and then as the rooster crows, we wait for dawn. We wait to see Jesus to be revealed. And for us, in our sermon series, we're going to have to wait till Easter for dawn to come and Jesus to be revealed. Because we're going to press pause on this series for now and we're going to come back to it uh, in the weeks leading up to Easter next year. Uh, But for now, uh, this is a challenging and an encouraging part of God's word. It's challenging because we often find ourselves in anxious situations. It's encouraging because Jesus hasn't changed. I reckon as we've been been in this, this story this morning, we might see ourselves in the Jewish leaders and we might see ourselves in Peter. When we've been afraid, we've grabbed hold of conspiracy, we've told lies. Why do we do this? It's because we think lo- telling lies gives us control. 
We believe that we can scheme and conspire our way out of things. Lying is a sin because God is truth. Lying is also a sin because we're grasping for power and control. We're putting ourselves in the place of God. In our saner moments, we know our lies will find us out. But when we're anxious, when there's conflict, that's where we go. We tell lies. And maybe at those times, maybe you've even denied Christ. Of course, whenever we sin, it's a denial of Christ, denying the truth that he is the Son of Man seated at the Father's right hand. But there are times when, like Peter, we directly deny Jesus. When we know that living or speaking for him would cause conflict or get us into trouble. Many of us hear Peter's story and it's a hard story to hear because we've been there. We've placed ourselves with the guards, with those who would mock Christ rather than standing with him. It is hard to hear because we see ourselves there. But brothers and sisters, there is good news. The good news is Jesus is truth. Because Jesus calmly stayed true, holding fast to his identity, even when it takes him to the cross, he did this to be a ransom for many. Mark 10.45 is probably the key verse for understanding the second half of Mark's gospel. The first half is all about the question, who do you say I am? The second half is unpacking what Jesus says in Mark 10.45, where Jesus says, for even the Son of Man the one who is given all power and authority as he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to pay the price to free us from anxiety and conflict and sin. Jesus remains calm in the midst of anxiety and conflict. Jesus holds hard, holds firm to the truth. Why? so he might give his life as a ransom for many. And that's why Peter's story isn't over yet. And that's why your story and my story does not need to be over, even if we, like Peter, have denied Christ. In Mark 16, uh, when the angelic messenger from God speaks to the women, those faithful women who've come to the tomb, when the angel speaks, Peter is singled out. But go, tell his disciples and Peter... Why is Peter singled out? It's to tell us that although he's denied Christ, Jesus has not denied Peter. Peter's tears were tears of repentance. And Jesus' death has paid the ransom even for Peter's denial at that moment. And Jesus' death has paid the ransom for your lies and your denial. And mine too. It's easy as we read this event in Mark 14, it's easy to have our eyes on the leaders and on Peter and and see ourselves. And how when the pressure has been on and when there's been anxiety and conflict, it's easy to look at them and see ourselves. But our eyes are to be on Jesus. To see him calmly standing true. So he might bring grace to us. Let's pray. Father God, we are sorry for times 
when we've left truth behind, when we've lived by lies and denied you, who is the truth. We're sorry because in doing this, uh, we've denied you, we've denied the Spirit and we've denied the Son. We thank you so much that Jesus didn't live by lies, but was always true. We thank you that he remained calm, even in the midst of anxiety. Thank you that he did this for us and our salvation, that we might come to know grace and truth in him. Amen.